The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Eric Franson with you here on a Wednesday, talking about what's going on in sports here on the Full Court Press. We got the Game 7 of the World Series. We got the Utah State Aggies getting ready for BYU. It's an in-the-know Wednesday, and uh, we'll break it down a lot in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, We'll have Jake Hatch, who uh, hosts a podcast about BYU. Uh, He'll be joining us. Uh, we'll hear from the coaches. We'll hear from the players. We got uh, some of the stuff that I, the interviews from uh, yesterday that I was able to get at practice from some of the players. Uh, how are they preparing for this matchup this Saturday night? So stay tuned for that. Uh, I also want to continue to run down who's playing where and when and how you can follow along for high school football playoffs. I think it's important to continue to emphasize that. We've got a lot of teams still involved, still playing, so we want to make sure we uh, give them the proper recognition that they deserve for what's going on. Um, so uh, anyway, so those are some of the things that we've got uh, going on uh, on today's show. A lot of emphasis here in the first hour uh, about the World Series. Also, Utah Jazz, they've got a game tonight against the, uh, the L.A. Clippers, and Already, we are only we're barely one week into the regular season, and already load management has reared its head. Kawhi Leonard will not be available for the Spurs or for the uh, Clippers. <laughs> Spurs, that's going back a little bit. Uh, he will not be available for the Clippers tonight because of load management. We're only a one week into the regular season, and he's already saying, "I need a break." Want to make sure I pace myself. So is this how it's going to go? Is he going to take himself out of a game once a week? Uh, I guess the the Clippers do have a back to back. This is the front end of a back to back for them. Um, and uh, what what they've got uh, going on? Of course, they're also without Paul George, who's still recovering from some sh- uh, shoulder surgery that he had in the off season. Uh, so it'll be a shorthanded. Clippers ball club, but actually that that still makes me nervous. When the Jazz faced a shorthanded Clippers squad uh, last year, well, they gave the Jazz fits. Uh, it, that game uh, went into overtime. Uh, it was a hard-fought game. It was a very uh, defensive game. It was kind of a physical game. And this Clippers team has shown that they're a very deep team. A lot of guys get involved. Uh, so it could be a very interesting uh, situation tonight in Salt Lake City when the Clippers come to face the Jazz. Uh, it's an 8 o'clock tip-off. It's an ESPN game, but uh, which makes it equally odd that uh, Kawhi Leonard is already uh, stepping out. That it's a, it's a national broadcast. It's a big game. Uh, Western Conference opponent, um, but uh, they have San Antonio tomorrow, 
Then they'll face the Jazz again on Sunday. So, I don't know. It's a little weird. It's a little different. But uh, if you're a Jazz fan, sure, we'll take it. That's fine. Uh, Jazz will face them again on Sunday, and we'll see what happens there. Uh, interesting uh, piece put together by Tim McMahon on uh, ESPN today. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. The title, the headline is the No All-Star Super Team, question mark, Utah's unique challenge in Loaded West. And really what he's looking at is all these stars and that are come together. And even though there may be some more parity now than what we've seen in the last few years, it feels like there could be, could be anybody's game going to the NBA championship. There are undoubtedly some great duos, all-star duos, in a lot of different teams in the West. Uh, but the Jazz don't have any all-stars on their squad. And uh, the, 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 um, the, <laughs> uh, the, the article quotes Joe Ingles. Some of it I don't think I can quote. Um, but uh, talking about how there haven't been any all-stars from the Jazz uh, recently. And uh, he says, the talented Jazz roster is considered one of the West's best, even though it doesn't include a single player who's been selected as an all-star, which is a sensitive subject in Salt Lake City. And Joe Ingles says, yeah, who votes for this stuff? <laughs> uh, even Rudy Gobert hasn't uh, been selected to an all-star uh, team. Uh, Donovan Mitchell hasn't. But the, uh, the, the thing is, the, according to ESPN's Basketball Power Index, Utah, they that power index likes the Jazz as a favorite to reach to, to reach the Western Conference Finals and NBA Finals. So this is updated just recently, and uh, has the Utah Jazz looking very good. Um, it in spite of the fact that um, you know Mike Connolly has not really had a solid start of his season. Uh, you know, he's been an all-star. He's an all-star caliber point guard. Um, but uh, he's struggled a little bit with his shot. But it's going to come. It'll get there. But you look at what this team has and how they're put together, uh, that game in Phoenix is a, is a good example of where this team is at. Even though Mike Connolly struggled, uh, the, the difference in this team is what we saw out of Boyan Bogdanovich and that they they get that kind of offense from the power forward or the number four spot on the court. I liked Derek Favors. I thought he was in a nice defensive presence, but he wouldn't have given you that kind of offense, at least not in back-to-back games. So the way that this team is put together, somebody can have a bit of an off night, and there's enough talent around them to hide that. And if uh, if Boyan Bogdanovich is part of the is part of the lineup when the Jazz play the Lakers, how different is that game? If Mike Connolly plays a little bit better offensively, how different is that game? Because the defense was there, the Jazz defensively have been amazing. They've held opponents to 100 points or less in all of their games so far. And uh, so the Jazz defensive rating has been really impressive. Um, and uh, even when they lost to the Lakers, the Lakers did not put 100 points up. They limited the Suns to 95 points, the Kings to 81. The Lakers scored 80, 95 in a win, 
and then the Thunders only scored 95. So granted, we're only a couple of games into it, but the Jazz defensive rating is looking very elite in the NBA. So the defense is there. It was a big question mark about what this team could do defensively in the preseason because it stands in stark contrast where nobody scored less than 126 points on the Jazz. But uh, if they can get that offense clicking, then they're going to be a great, great team this year. Now, according to this, uh, again, this report on uh, from ESPN, uh, looking at the Elias Sports Bureau research, since 1970-71, only two teams have reached the conference finals that uh, had a roster without an all-star prior to that season. That was the 76-77 and 98-99 Portland Trailblazers. Could this Jazz team send an all-star? Could there be an all-star on this team this year? I, I would think so. I would think that Rudy Gobert finally gets selected. Donovan Mitchell could get selected. And depending on where they're at in January, you could have even a third player, uh, Boyan or Mike Connolly. Certainly if Boyan is putting together a pretty good string here, but it is early. Um, but anyway, uh, Rudy Gobert said all-stars or no all-stars, we're going to win a lot of games. Uh, certainly that is, that's the plan. That's the hope. But, uh, when you look at this team and how they're, how they're built, they've got a lot of different weapons and in a lot of different places. I've really enjoyed watching, um, Royce O'Neal and how he has developed defensively. He's just always very active. I think he's becoming more uh, heads-up aware of what's going on around him, and uh, he's limiting his mistakes and and turnovers. Uh, And the way that the Jazz do their switching and the way that they're getting after opponents, man, it's impressive. Uh, They're making it really, really hard for teams to do what they want to do offensively. So um, can the Jazz, can they maintain this? Uh, can they still be considered an elite Western Conference team? This is a really big stretch for them. As I mentioned, this is a, a team that's got to face the Clippers tonight. Granted, it is a depleted Clippers team with their two big stars, but still a lot of players that play really hard and uh, can can still be very dangerous. Uh, they face the Clippers tonight. They go to Sacramento, who's been struggling a little bit, but still kind of a dangerous team. And then they travel to L.A. to take the clip, take on the Clippers again next Sunday, followed by Philadelphia in Salt Lake, Milwaukee in Salt Lake. So it's a, this next week, week and a half, they're going to face some really tough competition. Uh, the game tonight starting at 8 o'clock, so we'll have that right here on the fan, the new home of the Utah Jazz. And uh, then we'll have pregame at about 7.50, tip-off at 8 o'clock. But um, uh, this... It, the the biggest question marks for me coming into the season for the Jazz were how would this team look defensively because they didn't look great in the preseason. They lose uh, Jay Crowder. They lose Derek Favors, two guys that played hard physical defense. So uh, the, play, the guys that were coming in, would they match that physical intensity? And I think so far what we've seen is, well, they may not have the same physical presence like Ed Davis versus Derek Favors, physically not the same, 
but uh, so aggressive and active. Jeff Green, not as physical uh, as, uh, you know, it's what's happened here, but he's still active. He's moving around. And the way that they switch and the way that they can have players play multiple positions because of the, the, the athleticism and size that they can put out there with the lineup has been really impressive for the Jazz so far. Mike Connolly is in a funk. Whether it must be, you know, new place. He's been so used to being in Memphis for so long. It's taking him a little bit longer to acclimate to being in a Jazz uniform. I don't know what it is, but that will get figured out. Uh, I have confidence in Mike Connolly after watching his career that he'll figure it out and he'll be just fine. And uh, and the so with that, he's still pretty effective on the court. You know, we did get into some foul trouble against the Suns. Again, that's another example how this team has multiple guys that can initiate the offense. They're not solely reliant on a really good point guard to initiate everything. Multiple guys can initiate the offense and take take control. So it's a lineup that has a lot of flexibility. It's a lineup that has uh, a lot of guys at different positions that can shift and, and play from small guard to power forward. Um, and uh, can handle the ball and, and do things differently. So um, I think it's going to be a really fun season for the Utah Jazz. Uh, they can they can improve their their uh, their offense a little bit. I think that's mostly just on Connolly. This is going to be a really dangerous team in the NBA. Uh, a team that doesn't coming into this year without an All Star could be one of the top teams. They'll be tested tonight. They'll be tested later this week and early next week, and we'll get a good flavor. Because when they were at L.A. with against the Lakers, didn't look that great. There were stretches there where it was really frustrating to see what they were trying to do because offensively it wasn't really there. Defensively it was, but offensively um, didn't have that punch. Grant, they, Connolly had a rough game. Uh, Bogdanovich wasn't there because he had his turned ankle. Uh, and even Royce O'Neal was playing with a, a hurt hand. So, um, this is uh, this is going to be an interesting stretch to see uh, what this team looks like, how well they're going to do here in a, a very deep Western Conference. A big, a big early test tonight, but uh, you know what? The Jazz have no control over whether or not Kawhi Leonard plays. That's all on him. And if you beat the Clippers without him, beat the Clippers with him, doesn't matter. Um, so it's not uh, it's not up to the Jazz to make those decisions. So you get the wins where you can get them, uh, and uh, there shouldn't be an asterisk on the game. Uh, uh, certainly, I, I would suspect that Kawhi Leonard would play on Sunday. So whether the result tonight, if people still have that in question one way or the other, then probably on Sunday we'll uh, be able to really get a feel for what that looks like. You know, who draws uh, Kawhi Leonard defensively? Uh, probably a combination of guys. Royce O'Neal. Probably primarily, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich might get a little bit of that. Uh, so I think it's going to be a defense by committee to try to slow him down and uh, to not let other guys get going uh, either for the Clippers. So again, that'll be tonight. We'll have pregame coverage at uh, seven fifty, and tip off will be at eight o'clock. It's also going to be an ESPN game. Uh, if you're not around a radio and would prefer to uh, to watch it, that's where. 
you can uh, watch that. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. No Kawhi Leonard, no Paul George for the Clippers. Uh, also in the NBA, it was interesting to see uh, a game. I was able to watch this game last night, parts of it. The uh, the uh, Dallas Mavericks at the uh, Denver Nuggets. And the the Mavericks, um, Dallas had a chance to, uh, well, they, they were down. They came back. They led, had like a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Denver cut into that. It looked like the it was basically a tie game. It was anybody's game. But then really kind of questionable decisions by that uh, coaching staff uh, and the players themselves, too, and some of the plays that they had coming out of timeouts that uh, really seemed um, like they weren't really aware of what they should do. A little kind of surprised to see how that game unfolded. So good game by the Mavericks. That's a that's a good team. Uh, at, they're healthy. They're at full strength. They've got uh, some really good players. Uh, the Nuggets. That was their first loss. Uh, but um, I was kind of surprised to see how the Nuggets lost that game. It was more about how the Nuggets lost than how Dallas won, uh, which I thought was interesting. Only a few other games on TV last night. The Lakers really pulling away from uh, the Grizzlies. It was a interesting first half, but the third quarter, the Lakers just totally pulled away. Anthony Davis went nuts, 40 points, 20 rebounds in only three quarters. And then the Heat uh, beating the Hawks 112-97. to Trey Young has had a really good start to the season, but he got hurt and had to get pulled from that game. Tonight, it's a pretty busy NBA schedule besides the Jazz playing tonight on ESPN. Uh, the earlier game on ESPN has the Bucks at the Celtics. A uh, good showdown between two really good uh, Eastern Conference teams. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other teams that are involved. I'm not going to go through the full schedule. But on ESPN, Bucks at Celtics at 5.30. Jazz hosting the Clippers. That'll be at uh, 8 o'clock. Uh, Jazz are favored in this one. Jazz are favored by 6. I think this was that line has been affected by the news today that Kawhi Leonard was not going to be available and he was going to sit out because of load management. They're saying he's got a bit of a knee soreness, but it's load management. And uh, just shocking that we're hearing that phrase already just barely one week into the regular season. All right, coming up next here on the Full Court Press, we'll get into what happened last night in the World Series, what's on the line tonight. It's a Game 7 in the World Series. Houston Astros hosting the Washington Nationals. The first time that uh, a road team has won every game through six games in this one. What does it mean for Game 7 tonight? How are ticket prices being affected in this one? It reminds me about what happened last year uh, with the uh, Dodgers and the uh, the Red Sox. Could it be a similar scenario playing out in front of us uh, for tonight's game as well? We look at ticket pricing and uh, ticket demand. So anyway, we'll look at that and some of the other storylines at play. Who might uh, be on the mound? Because it's the last game until you get lots of time to rest. So what might this coaching staff, or these both of these coaching staffs, uh, do tonight with their rotations and on the mound to try to secure the win and secure the championships? We'll discuss that coming up next here on the Full Court Press. It's the Full Court Press, weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan.
Welcome back to the Full Court Press. Uh, big game last night in the World Series, Game 6 in Houston. And the, this has been such a wild, wild series in that the the visiting team has always won. Uh, and we didn't get to this yesterday, uh, or a stat that blew our minds. I had a different stat, but I think this one has to trump what I had before. This is the first postseason in Major League Baseball in NBA or NHL history in which the road team has won the first six games. That's incredible. In the seven-game series they have in the Major League Baseball for the World Series, in the seven games, best of seven for the NBA championship, in the best of seven they have for the Stanley Cup and the NHL, this is the first time that each of the first six games was won by the road team. It's incredible. So bizarre. Why can't the the home team play well? The other thing that's interesting uh, about the game last night, Steven Strasburg, he's been phenomenal for the Nationals. He's healthy. He's doing well. He's had a great postseason. He has now accumulated 47 strikeouts here in the postseason. That's tied for second all-time. He had another great performance on the mound for the Nationals. Uh, they're poised to have a, a a good game tonight because he was able to go so long. Uh, Max Scherzer will be on the mound for the Nationals. But here's what he had to say about Strasburg and the type of game that he had last night. Unbelievable. Just to be able to go out there and pitch like that. Um, you know, they came out aggressive against him, but he, the way he just executed pitches, uh, it was it was unbelievable. And Strasburg uh, himself says, you know, he was trying to get himself prepared. He knew it was an elimination game and needed to give his team one more chance. I'm not really sure, to be honest. You know, it's, uh, you know, we love playing together. We love competing together. And uh, I think we've been groomed for elimination games because we've played quite a few of them. Probably, you know, some regular season games there, too, that you consider elimination games. Uh, it was an elimination game. Tonight will be a winner-take-all. But um, Dave Martinez, who had an interesting game, got uh, ejected, but... Uh, first time that's happened since, uh, what did I see, since the mid-90s, uh, Bobby Cox for the Braves. But uh, he talked about uh, Strasburg as well. He was certainly on a lot of people's minds with the way he's been pitching, not only in the game last night, but how well he's done here in the postseason. The big pitchers and big moments do what Strasburg did today. So um, uh, I told him after the game, he said, that was tremendous. I mean, you, pick, you picked us all up, and um, we're going to game seven because of your performance. What a performance. Yeah, what I, As I said earlier, the guy's just been so dominant in what he's done on the mound for the Nationals. He's been healthy. Uh, he's He's been able to go long stretches. Uh, and so what we see tonight is a winner-take-all, and it's got the people in Houston uh, really kind of upset, kind of depressed that they weren't able to wrap this thing up sooner. Um, and... Uh, this is interesting looking at some of the, the uh, what do you call it, the, the, the off-market, uh, the, the second um, opportunity. I'm not thinking of the right phrase, but either way where you can get seats or, or, or tickets not directly from the venue itself. 
but uh, anyway, there's a place called VividSeats.com. There's another place called SeatGeek.com uh, that uh, revealing what the uh, how prices have changed for this game seven, and uh, that they're they're dropping dramatically. And it, if you remember last year, it was the Dodgers and the the Red Sox. Game six was in Los Angeles, um, and uh, in the the Red Sox had control of the series. Uh, and uh, actually, it was game seven. The uh, Red Sox played very well in game six, and the, the, a lot of the Los Angeles. Faithful were depressed about how things were going. They could see that the, where the momentum was on the Red Sox sides, and there were a bunch of uh, Sox fans that filled that arena because the Dodgers fans saw the writing on the wall and didn't want to be there. And so Sox got it on the secondary market and were able to get in and cheer their team. Now, it could be a similar situation unfolding tonight in Houston. The get-in price, or the, the cheapest seats for Game 7, $337. Uh, the average ticket is selling for 840 Now, while those might sound like still a lot of money, they are very different from some other comparisons. Uh, for example, earlier in the series, uh, this Vivid Seats, they had the average ticket price as high as 1175 Now the average ticket price for Game 7, Game 7! Eight hundred and forty. Um, the average cost of a ticket sold in some recent Game Sevens across different sports. So uh, last year's in the Stanley Cup between the Blues and the Bruins, it was going for over twenty two hundred dollars. The average uh, cost of a ticket sold in the Game Seven in the uh, two thousand sixteen World Series between the Cubs and the Indians over eighteen hundred dollars. Uh, the 16 NBA Finals between the Cavs and the Warriors, that was a Game 7, over $1,500. Uh, the 2017 World Series between the Astros and the Dodgers, it went for over $1,200. So it's down from the last time <laughs> the Astros had a Game 7. Um, so anyway, with SeatGeek, it's pretty similar. The average ticket price for them by this ap- earlier this afternoon was one thousand uh, dollars, just over one thousand dollars, but that which is still higher than the other place, but still down thirty six percent from Game Seven of the two thousand seventeen World Series. Uh, and there was a a fan that they caught up with on the street who was trying to get some tickets, or he had some tickets to sell. Uh, anyway, he says Houston's depressed, and ticket prices reflect that. So, is that giving an indication of what might happen tonight? Are we going to see an inordinate amount of Nationals fans at Minute Maid Park? Are they going to fill that arena because Houston's depressed and then the team will fill that too and they'll be down and they won't play that great? Or does Houston find a way to reverse the story about how this series has played out? It has been so crazy how it's the home team has struggled offensively and the road team has been able to score Lots of runs. Uh, but last night it was mostly for the Nationals. Much, much of that uh, scoring came uh, later in the game. Uh, they went up. They had the two home runs in the fifth to take the lead. They added two more runs in the seventh and two more runs in the ninth. But um, 
anyway, what's, what could happen tonight? What's on the line? Obviously, everything is on the line. So how could that affect who gets in and who plays? You might see some pitchers get in there in relief on very short rest. Both teams probably are going to do something to that degree. Uh, Zach Granke will be on the mound for the Astros. Max Scherzer will be on the mound for the Nationals. Uh, Scherzer, um, regular season, 2.92 ERA. He was 11-7, but in the postseason, he's really cranked it up. He's 3-0, 2.16ERA. Meanwhile, Granke, he was 18-5 in the regular season with 2.93 ERA. But in the regular in the uh, postseason, 0-2 with a 5.3 ERA. So how long does Granke last? That has been a big question, uh, not just for tonight, but in what he's done so far in the postseason for the Astros. Uh, it's rare to see him go more than five innings. And so you could see a host of different players uh, go in uh, in relief for the Astros uh, to try to get this thing done for them to give them a chance. Uh, it could be kind of a similar situation though for for the uh, for the Nationals. Um, even uh, even Strasburg said, "Look, it's Game Seven. Uh, let's go. <laughs> I'll do whatever." Um, so uh, it wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, if we saw some uh, Steven Strasburg, uh, you probably won't come to that. Probably won't uh, see him there, but it's possible. A couple of other things that are going on. Um, it, how long do you see these uh, these starters to be on the mound? You know, Max Scherzer he pitched just a few days ago, three days ago. Not a lot of rest. Uh, he did throw in the outfield before Game Six. Uh, he did have a, a nerve in his arm. Took a cortisone shot. Uh, in fact, he was starting to get ready in the bullpen at one point of the game last night. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, Nationals outfielder Adam Eaton saying that Max was uh, almost, this is his quote, Max was almost pronounced dead. Now he's been revived by our medical staff. It's been quite the road, but to end in game seven and hopefully well scripted. So uh, the, the question is who, who will see time in relief? How long will these starters be able to go? Um, and uh, that could be an interesting part of the storyline is the bullpens. How well will they be able to, to uh, hang in there? Um, but uh, Grenke, meanwhile, he's uh, it's game seven. A.J. Hinch says he's going to have the entire pitching staff ready to go. Um, so doesn't really need to uh, push him that hard. He doesn't need to go real deep. And uh, we're likely, we'll probably see Garrett Cole on the mound. and uh, He's been fantastic for the Astros in the postseason. And so it's it's likely that we'll probably see some of that. Um, but probably the only person we wouldn't see for the Astros is Justin Verlander. Um, even though he said that he's uh, it's all hands on deck, if Coach asks, he'll figure out a way. But uh, I, was, I would assume that everybody but Verlander would be available to go. Um, so I think it'll be a fun game. I I think that uh, while ratings have been down in this series, I think it's been fun. I think it's been really interesting. Home field has meant nothing. Uh, it's uh, But you've got two interesting teams and in how they're uh, putting things together. Gosh, you had a coach get ejected last night. Uh, so you, you've got some interesting things going on with these pitching staffs and uh, these uh, some great offense as well. So, 
Uh, it'll be an interesting showdown tonight. It'll be on Fox starting at uh, just after 6 o'clock. Uh, of course, the Jazz won't start until 8, so you'll be able to catch a good chunk of the game uh, for what's going on in Game 7 of the World Series. Even if you're not really a fan of baseball, Game 7 of, or whatever the sport, Game 7 is always intriguing and always interesting to see who gives up early mentally, who keeps fighting, uh, and uh, who maybe have a comeback. So who knows? You know, It's all on the lines. So you throw everything out there. So anyway, that's going on tonight in Major League Baseball. Definitely worth paying attention to and uh, checking out tonight on Fox. Uh, coming up, we'll get a few more comments from some of the coaches and players involved with the World Series, and then uh, move on. There's some interesting stuff going on with uh, an interesting story that The Athletic put together, uh, doing some number crunching for college football and talking about stop rates. Uh, how well do the uh, team defenses do on like on third downs? How well do they do in getting teams off the field? Sometimes you get a team off the field before it even comes to third down. So third down conversion doesn't necessarily tell you the entire story. They're trying to do some data crunching to give us a more complete picture. Uh, how do the Aggies look on that? Uh, how about the BYU Cougars? The, they're on there as well. Everybody is on there. So uh, interesting. We'll get through that and dive into those numbers a little bit. Also, i remind you who's playing where for the uh, high school football playoffs. We've got 10 area teams involved in the high school football playoffs uh, this week. So I'll give you a rundown who's playing where, how you can follow along, what's on the line. All coming up next right here on the Full Court Press. It doesn't matter who you root for. The Full Court Press has all the high school sports covered. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. usually not as big a benefit when the guys are elite as it is when it when the guy maybe not be as elite but it, it's you know you try to just you have to discern whether or not you're going to be the first to adjust or is he going to be the first to adjust and they we have the same dilemma on the other side of the ball as well with JV is he you know what comes first their adjustment or your adjustment that's AJ Hinch so the Astros will be facing uh, the pitcher for the second time and just talking about some of the the adjustments that have to happen. You know, who who blinks first? Who makes the first adjustment? Uh, adjustment. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But the the Astros trying to say that they're ready to go. They're not um, overly uh, trying to panic. Uh, Michael Brantley faced uh, Strasburg before, and we're facing him again tonight. Well, he's a great pitcher. Uh, he has you know three quality pitches that he throws at any given time. So uh, we got to come out with a good game plan, a team approach. And uh, hopefully have some good consecutive bats. Also says they're trying not to panic that uh, this series was supposed to be theirs, and they've uh, they let an opportunity slip away from them last night. Big game seven tonight. Zero panic. Uh, when I feel like when you have a special group, uh, if you look around the locker room with the special talent that we have in that locker room and how everybody cares for one another, uh, there was zero panic. Zero panic. Certainly, I would uh, suspect that the the. More pressure is on Houston to get this wrapped up. Um, the, the Nationals have been playing on house money for a long time, and uh, they're the, the road team, and that's what's worked. The road team has been able to get the, the victories in the postseason. Um, so, anyway, again, Fox at 6 o'clock. Uh, 
shifting gears a little bit, talking about some college football. Interesting thing that was put together by The Athletic. Now, I understand it's a subscription service. Not everybody has access to their, uh, their articles. But um, this is an interesting thing they put together here just recently. And they're talking about the, the stoppage rate. Uh, the, this is a percentage of a defense's drives that end in punts, turnovers, or a turnover on downs. So it's not just a, what is your third down conversion rate on defense? It takes in other factors. You might be able to get the opposing team off the field before it even gets to third down. So uh, third down conversion doesn't always tell you everything. So they've gone through and run the numbers and looked at all of this. Um, they talked about who has jumped up the most since October 1st, who has declined the, the, the worst, who's had the most struggles. Uh, Utah State is not in the top five. I would be interested to see how much they dropped from uh, where they were before the Air Force game and then after the Air Force game because they had a big drop definitely there. But Hawaii is one of the top five in the biggest stop rate declines. They dropped 37 spots from 69 to 106. But where things are, now this is on the year. Uh, the stop rates, the best team with stop rate is Ohio State. 88.2% stop rate. Uh, they're number one. They're at three and out. They're at 46.1%. And uh, so very good what they've done there in 102 total drives. So they're number one, Ohio, or Ohio State number one. Penn State, Clemson, Georgia, and Wisconsin are the others that round out the top five. Utah not far behind. They're at number seven. Uh, San Diego State is at number eight. They're in the top ten. Uh, they made it tough for Utah State to move the ball against them, but Utah State did just enough defensively to win that game. That's going to go down as one of the key wins for Utah State this year. Uh, Boise State is in the top 20. They're coming at number 20. Their stop rate is 75.3%. On their third three and out rate is thirty seven point six percent. Okay, so what about Utah State? Not that far behind. USU comes in at number twenty three overall. Um, I certainly think that would have been higher before the Air Force debacle in Colorado Springs, but still, Utah State, their stop rate is seventy three point seven percent. They're down. Uh, or three and out rate is 38.4%. Uh, Wyoming is just ahead of the Utah State Aggies at uh, 22. And then what about their opponent coming up this week? BYU Cougars. How well are they at getting opponents off the field and stopping opponents? They've had 81 drives. Their stop rate is 60.5%. Or, in other words, they're ranked 98th. Their three and out rate, 28.4%. They've had a hard time stopping opponents. And that's going to be a big key for this game on Saturday. Can Utah State sustain drives? And much of that is going to be more on them, themselves, than perhaps any other external factor. We'll hear more about that, get into more of that uh, next hour when we get to hear from Coach Anderson. Uh, some of the players. We'll also hear from Coach Kalani Sataki, some of his players, uh, as we do have an in-the-know Wednesday coming up here on the Full Court Press. But um, you know, how well can Utah State stop the ball? Uh, they could not stop the running game against Air Force. Can they do that against BYU? 
And can conversely, can Utah State do better in sustaining their own drives? Uh, BYU surprised Boise State in their defensive efforts. Uh, even though Boise had uh, a backup, BYU also had several backups in that game. So uh, that's going to be a real key for USU. I know it's been a, f- a focus from Gary Anderson, some of the things that we've heard from him, some of the things that we've heard from the players that, that we did not see on the field against Air Force. Uh, when I was in practice yesterday, it was very lively, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, that team is pretty juiced right now. They uh, they hate what happened in Colorado Springs. They know they've got a rivalry game coming up this weekend. Uh, they don't want to get embarrassed two weeks in a row. Uh, and uh, it was very, very active, very lively. Guys chirping against each other. Um, and so this is a, a team also, Gary Anderson, saying he wants he's going to be more involved, inserting himself a little bit more in different aspects of the game in the game preparations, which honestly I think is great. I think that's totally fine, especially for this one. He knows Kalani Sataki. They were on the same coaching staff together several different times in several different places. Uh, He knows how they think. Kalani knows how Gary thinks. Kalani knows how Gary's defensive staff thinks. So it's going to be a very interesting chess match with guys who are very familiar with each other going against each other uh, and to, to see what happens there. Uh, Gary has never coached against Kalani Sataki. Um, and so this will be uh, a very interesting showdown between uh, a mentor and one of his students. Uh, can the Aggies get it done for, for Gary Anderson and for the Aggie faithful? So uh, those are just some of the storylines uh, playing out in this one coming up this weekend. Uh, and so, I mean, Kalani Sataki, um, pretty respectable uh, coach. Uh, I, I don't think he's a, a guy that pulls some silly stunts like we've seen other BYU coaches pull. But um, he, uh, I think, was right to say that um, the, the game on Saturday is about the players and the coaches aren't on the field, and so it shouldn't be about the coaches. Well, I mean, he, he gave me a chance when he was Southern, head coach of Southern Utah and um, was able to bring me along to Utah when he became defense coordinator there. And, and um, you know, he's been influential to me in a lot of different ways in, in coaching and, and how you treat and recruit players. And so uh, he's been a mentor of mine. I've mentioned him and Lavelle and, you know, Kyle and all the others that have been uh, a huge impact in my coaching career, but not just in coaching, just as a person. I think they've helped me become better people. Uh, besides that, uh, he certainly he sheds a little more light on the how connected he is and who he knows on that Utah State sideline. Uh, who benefits the most from that or for the knowledge or intelligence they might have on the other side? That's still to be determined. But uh, it is interesting how many connections there are between these two coaching staffs. It's not about the coaches, but I have really close friends on that on that staff and, and know a lot of the uh, you know a lot of the kids on the team too on the roster so um you know Gary and I won't talk this week but we'll talk afterwards and and Justin Enna and I you know we're basically inseparable when we're here in college so a uh, close friend of mine and I know a lot of guys out there Frank Miley and TJ Woods those guys are, are good friends of mine so um but it doesn't it's not about the coaches I said this before that 
we're not the ones suiting up and playing the game, but we'll focus it on the kids and let them make the plays, and, and then we'll hug each other after the game. Yeah, uh, well, it's just a taste of what we're going to hear more of coming up next hour when we get into the in-the-know segment about Utah State and BYU. More from the coaches and the players from both sides, what uh, the storylines are leading into this, who may or may not be available and uh, for the game that, that does play because there's been injuries on both teams. Some guys are not going to be available, perhaps more so on the BYU sidelines than the Utah State sidelines. Uh, but uh, Jake Hatch will join me next hour. He does a podcast about uh, the Locked On Cougars podcast focusing on uh, BYU sports. So he'll join me and get his uh, share his thoughts about what's going on for the matchups this Saturday night. All right, coming up next here on the Full Court Press, what's going on Friday night for high school football? A lot of playoffs in action. Teams are uh, 10 different teams involved in the playoffs. We'll let you know who's playing where and how you can follow along. Coming up next here on the Full Court Press. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Welcome back to the Full Court Press. We got a pretty active weekend for high school football. And uh, actually, there's one game being played tomorrow. Happy Halloween, Bear Lake fans. Bear Lake Bears take on Firth. Two-way state football playoffs will be played in the Holt Arena in Pocatello. That will be Thursday at 7 o'clock. Everybody else is going to be playing on Friday. Uh, Malad at McCall Donnelly, also in the two-way state football playoffs. That's Friday at 1 o'clock. Everybody else Friday in the afternoon. Uh, Green Canyon is going to be playing Friday Hosting Cedar, that'll be at 3 o'clock. So right as after school gets out, everybody just head to the stadium and cheer on the Green Canyon Wolves as they take on Cedar. That'll be heard on Light FM 100.9. And Craig Heslop on the call with John Russell. Uh, Bear River is on the road. They're going to be at Pineview Friday at 4. Heard on 104.9 FM, The Ranch in Box Other County. Uh, Ridgeline, they're going to be at Dixie. So those two teams will be in Southern Utah. That game will be at 4 o'clock on 104.5, the ranch. At 5 o'clock, Skyview hosts Cedar Valley. That'll be on 106.9 and 1390 AM. The fan will have it right here with Hurricane John Newbold. Uh, Mountain Crest will be at Stansbury. That'll be at 5 o'clock. You can hear that one on 107.7 FM. And Logan will be at Park City. That'll be at 5 o'clock. Al Lewis will be on the call there. That'll be on KVNU, 610 AM, 102.1 FM. And also, the uh, couple other teams from uh, Idaho will be involved Friday night. Westside will be hosting Ryrie in the 2A state football playoffs. That'll be Friday at 7. And then Preston, they'll be on the road at Minico in the 4A state playoffs. That'll be Friday at 7. Now, Preston at Minico, that could be really interesting. That was a two-point game, anybody's game at the very end. And this is kind of a rematch of uh, of that one that happened earlier in the season. So uh, 10 different teams involved in the playoffs. Uh, we've got a, a links to how to listen live. Uh, radio stations are covering these games. You can find it on cashvalleydaily.com. In fact, the, the headline is 10 area teams still involved in football playoffs this weekend. You can see that and uh, get the links or the, see the radio stations, how you can follow along. Uh, we've got... Broadcast crews that are going to be in St. George 
giving us the play-by-play, our own version of play-by-play, not taking somebody else's, which will be nice. Uh, so, I, again, uh, can't say enough the thanks and appreciation to all those people who have made this possible, that we can have this level of coverage for these high school teams. As all six Region 11 teams will be playing in the playoffs this Friday. All six will be on local radio stations, so you'll be able to follow your favorite team as it plays out and uh, and follow it along. And we have links. You can you don't even have to be in the area, and you can still listen to see how it plays out. You could be in St. George and still tune in to, and check out what's going on up here in northern Utah. All right, coming up next hour, we'll get into more about Utah State and uh, BYU. It's an in-the-know Wednesday here on the Full Court Press. Stay tuned. More from the coaches and players next hour. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. Sometimes it's hard to tell if officiating in sports has become far worse or if we as fans have gotten much louder. Game six of the World Series was somewhat marred by a controversial call in the seventh inning. The national trade Turner was called out for runner interference at first base. It was a tough call because it bailed out the Astros after pitcher Brad Peacock made a bad throw. Turner didn't appear to do anything wrong, even if the call was technically correct. Fortunately, it didn't affect the game. Washington's Anthony Rendon hit a home run later in the inning to blow up a close game. It was nothing like the blown pass interference call with the Saints and Rams in the NFC title game. But that didn't stop Twitter from exploding. Everyone was killing Major League Baseball. I'm not sure all the criticism was warranted, but it's the kind of hyperbole we see in sports every day now. Officiating has always been flawed. Now everyone has an outlet to complain, and many sports fans are taking advantage of it. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.